Today is all about grace. Because it's all about grace. Say, it's all about grace with me. It's all about grace. Okay, what's it? This word. This God. This life. It's all about grace. We are in week three of our series, Let's Talk About It. And we're focusing in on four essential truths of our faith and how our understanding of them impacts our lives, as well as all this denominational stuff we're also dealing with. So week one, we dealt with biblical authority. Last week, we had a heavy dose of sin, is what we talked about last week. Today's about grace. And next week, it's all about God's people coming together at the intersection of truth, sin, and grace as we talk about contending for the messy work of gospel-centric community. So in many ways, this message, it is connected to last week's message, but it's also a bridge into next week's message. So you'll get something. God has something for you in these words. I'm sure of it today. But to get the full, complete picture of all these things, you got to tune in next week because this it will be the culmination of this whole series. So you won't want to miss it. So last week was all about sin. We even filled out these papers here. We were laying out confessions before God about our sin. And it's on this red paper remind us of, of, of how, how destructive it is and painful and deep and real it is. We confessed those sins out before the Lord. But sin does not have the final say. Why don't you look to your left? Why don't you look to your right? Why don't you look up? Why don't you look down? Why don't you look outside? Why don't you look inside? Everywhere you look, you will look and see the effects of sin. But because of Jesus Christ and his overwhelming grace, sin does not have the final say. If sin is the single most destructive thing in all of creation, grace is the unstoppable power of God on full display. For as strong as and potent as sin may be, it cannot hold a candle to the power of God's grace. If sin is a wedge between us and God, grace is Jesus Christ becoming that wedge and then bearing that wedge in the ground where it belongs, paving the way, removing the separation, clearing the way for us and God to be in right relationship because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is grace incarnate. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to our forever union with God and our full and complete freedom from sin. If you have ever wondered why Amazing Grace, the hymn that we sing, is the most known hymn of all time, it's because it speaks about this, the profound power of the love of God Almighty. Nothing Nothing, nothing can ever overcome the grace of God. Not death, not Satan, not sin. For over all these things, Christ in his grace has already claimed the victory. It's all about grace. But don't take 
my word for it. Take the word for it. Okay, as we go to Ephesians 2, Paul's writing here to the church in Ephesus. It was a church who proclaimed Jesus as Savior and Lord. It was a church that had done a pretty good job of bearing witness to Christ's saving work in the world. And this is what Paul wrote to them. And in many ways also writes to us. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, because he is the spirit at work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, every single one, used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, total depravity. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We know there is only one without sin, and it is not one of us. So last week, we explored the total destruction of sin. Corrupts everything. There's not a moment in our lives that has gone untouched by sin's destructive effects. In every single way, outside of Jesus, we are the walking dead. Not the zombies, but dead in our sin. Dead in our sin, walking as though we're alive, but really spiritually in every way, we are dead. And if you've ever strayed from God or you're having a hard time, you haven't been walking closely with him, even if you call him Savior and Lord, or definitely if you have not called on him as Lord yet, you know that feeling, don't you? It reminds me of a, a wrong season, but appropriate uh, illustration of a Christmas carol. And you know, Jacob Marley, as he bore the burdens of his sins as chains wrapped around his neck, and he felt the weight of those every moment of his suffering after his death. What a profound image for us of what it is like to live and to walk outside of Jesus in his way. You feel that burden. You feel that weight of the chains of sin around your neck. They're heavy, and you are weary as you bear those chains. Because if you live in sin, that is, you're not alive in Christ. If you live in sin, you are serving and obeying God's enemy, Satan. That is a terrifying thought. And since we're all sinner, sinful by our very nature, that makes us subject to God's anger because God cannot, will not, and does not tolerate sin. God is holy. And because he is holy, he hates sin. Sin is everything he is not. It is everything absent of his goodness. Sin, sin is completely incompatible with a holy God. But because God is also good, and merciful, and gracious beyond measure, he cannot and does not tolerate letting his beloved creation fall captive to the destruction of sin. He made a way. And because sin does not have the final say, because it is not all about sin, it's all about grace. Continue in our passage. 
But God is rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he does for us who are united with Christ Jesus. That, that verse right there, it's talking about the church in Ephesus, but it's talking about the faithful of God throughout the ages being a living example and mark of God's continued grace throughout all of history, okay? Because God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this because it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Thank God for his true word. Because it's all about God and his amazing grace. God is holy and he despises and hates sin and he must punish it. His justice demands it. His holiness demands it. That is why the penalty of sin is death. It is an eternity of complete suffering and separation from God. That is our default setting, friends. If we do not believe in God, that's what's going to happen. But because of the depth of his merciful grace, he provided us with freedom from death. And he provided the way to life. Jesus took that penalty, that right penalty upon himself, and he died the death that we deserved. And in his unmatchable power, he buried that sin in the grave while he himself was raised from the dead, promising the very same to all who believe in him as Savior and Lord. You know the verse from Romans? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is how Jesus made things right between us humans who are sinful by nature and him, our holy God. He puts sin to death. He raises us to life. He forgives us fully and completely. If we say, yes, Lord, you are God, I'm not, I am sinful, you are not, forgive me and save me, because it is by grace, it is by his grace, it is by grace and grace alone that you have been saved. Sin does not have the final say. It is all about grace. And though our sin is great, I mean, has anyone uh, 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 fallen asleep to that reality? We see sin everywhere, right? We see it in our lives. We see the hurt around us, the brokenness as creation moans because of its brokenness from sin. Though sin and our sin is great, his love is greater. Romans 5.20 states, though sin is great, grace what? It abounds even more. 
Sin affects everything. But God's grace abounds even more. Why don't you look to the left? Why don't you look to the right? Keep exercising that neck. Look up. Look down. Look outside. Look inside. And you will find glimmers of God's amazing grace. For it abounds. If death cannot stop the grace of God, nothing can ever match the grace of God. So God defeats sin, but he doesn't hold our sin over us. He doesn't say, hey, remember that? Remember that? He doesn't, he doesn't have a dark cloud of sin over us in his forgiveness. He doesn't guilt us. He doesn't shame us. Those are not in the vocabulary of God for when we've gone astray. No, he longs in his grace to save us and to forgive us. And God's forgiveness from our sin, it is his grace giving us life, not just for eternity, but even here right now on this side. Look at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 103. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him, it's as great as the heights of the heaven above the earth. He's removed our sins. You see that? He's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. God does not treat us as our sinfulness deserves. Do you believe that? Or are you walking around as though you are the walking dead? Do you carry shame? Do you carry guilt? Do you carry pain and hurt because of your sin? Have you sought repentance? Have you sought his forgiveness? Have you sought to make it right with God and with others? And if you have done that, if you have sought his forgiveness, are you still carrying that burden? Friends, repent and believe the good news of Christ Jesus that if you sincerely ask, he forgives you even now. What a grace, because when it comes to forgiveness, God does not simply withhold his anger and he forgives us. He doesn't just simply give us a pass. He separates us from our sins. And he uses this beautiful image of removing our offense from us as far as the east is from the west. You know how far that is? That's an infinite amount. Because when God forgives, he places an infinite gulf between our wrongdoings and us. So if you've made him Lord, if you have a repentant heart and you have cried out for his forgiveness, when he looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees his son. He does not see your sin. He sees his daughter. He doesn't see a liar. He sees his child saved by grace. He doesn't see the addicted. He sees his child saved by grace. He doesn't see an adulterer. He sees his child saved by grace. He doesn't see a hypocrite. He sees his child saved by grace. He doesn't see blank fill in the gap. He sees you, his beloved child, saved by grace. And all of us, saved by grace, wouldn't even exist, wouldn't even be here, wouldn't even have the beat of the heart or ability to blink our eyes without his ongoing, forevermore sustaining grace. The sin that once separated us from God, 
God has now separated from us an infinite distance. And as his forgiveness separates us from our sin, we also know there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can ever separate us from the grace of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, that is the life of the godly will always be acquainted with suffering. We can even those things, can those things even separate us from the love of Christ? No. For in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is grace. That's our God. And God did this for you. Jesus went to the cross for you. He saw your sin and your suffering, and in his grace, he said, oh no, that's not how it's going to be. I will make a way. God does not identify you by your sin. Once forgiven, he does not associate you with your sin. He sees you as his beloved creation, his masterpiece. He sees his child, broken by sin and put back together by the love of his son, Jesus Christ. That is our new identity. That's who we are. Yes, we are sinners, but we are sinners saved by grace. That's what the waters of baptism remind us of. That's what it symbolizes, our new life in Christ. Because Christ, over all of our struggles, all of our suffering, our hardships, represented by this bull, we are more than conquerors because of what Christ has already done. This, old, this bull here, new life. Living water. It's fresh. It sustains. It purifies. It heals. This death, pain, sorrow, destruction. This is the smallest little glimpse into our brokenness inside. But as grace that overcomes all, we have in Jesus a new life, a new identity. For when Christ died, he took our sin with him. He took our sin with him. The water's draining. And he saw this. He saw this. Said, I'm going to make a way. This? Mm -mm. Forget this. I am the God of grace and love. And I will give you new life. Though I go to the cross, I will rise again. 
and you will rise with me. You will have new life. You will be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Your sin is no more. Separation, no more. You are my beloved child. You are forgiven and set free. Those chains, they are gone. Your sin is gone. Be with me in eternity forever and live. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. A love so divine, so undeserved, so complete that in a world broken by sin, broken hearts are mended. Hearts are healed. Our hope is restored. Our joy is renewed. Our love overflows for the love of Jesus overflows. The dead live again and sinners are saved by grace. He went to the cross for you. He loved you first and he loves you fully. And because of this, we have our marching orders for how we as his children and reflections of him are called to live. Our new identity was forged in grace. And so we are called to embody grace in every area of our lives. That is indeed a Christian's defining trait. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Friends, we confess together right here and now Christians are not always or often known by their love. But once again, we today proclaim we have a new identity in Christ and a deep heartfelt longing to be known by our love. For Christ loved us first. He saw our brokenness and he loved us. He loved us so much to do this for us. So we know how we are called to lead with love, to love first. But boy, it can be kind of hard to extend grace sometimes, right? It can be really hard to be loving at all times. Our sinful nature and our, our, our being a slave to righteousness are constantly in com- combat. And we can look at other people in the world and, and see their brokenness and all their sin and just be mad and judgmental towards it. We can look at other Christians and think they're the ones that need to get it together. It can be very easy for us to receive this lavish grace that he extends. It's a lot harder for us to offer it to all. We know, you especially know this if you have kids, we can't control anyone else. We can't control others. We can only control ourselves. So what are we going to do? We're going to lead with love and grace. And when we see how Jesus loves us in all our brokenness, and all our sin, we can see how we are called to love others with that same grace-filled, love-first type of love. In fact, Jesus' own words said, love one another as I have loved you. We must contend for the truth of the gospel. We must understand the all-encompassing, destructive power of sin But if we get love wrong, we are wrong. We contend for these things. Next week, we're going to talk a lot more about how to get love right in community and in light of the truth we proclaim, the brokenness of sin, 
the disagreements we often carry as we're called to be a grace-centered community. But for now, we simply name and acknowledge that God has given us the most amazing gift in all creation. And what is the appropriate response to a gift? It's a heart filled with thanks. Thank you, God, for what you have given us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this new life, this new identity, this freedom from the burden and pain and suffering and sorrows of sin. And our thanksgiving turns immediately to humbly ask him to continue to transform us by his grace, to purify and hone us, to guide us and convict us, to embrace us and heal us. Because, yeah, we are all sinners, but praise God that's not the end. Praise God that for those who believe in him, we are all sinners, but we are saved by grace. Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we really do fail to comprehend the depth and breadth of your grace. But even the smallest glimmer of it overwhelms us beyond comprehension. So we do. We come to you with humble and sincere hearts filled with thanksgiving and gratitude for who you are, how good you are, how loving you are, for all you have done. We know the smallest part of that, and yet it's truly amazing. Lord, we pray that we will be transformed by your grace, compelled to be more like you. We think even now in our hearts that are heavy with thanksgiving, but maybe even heavy with realizing where we need to do some work, that in your grace, you will guide us forward to the next step. We long to leave this place shining that grace that you have given us. So may it be so. May your kingdom come here on earth and in and through us. For we know when we live out of grace and love, we do so not on our own power, but it is Christ through us. What an amazing gift. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.